0: Thank you worship team and for Irene for reading the scripture with such passion and conviction. We're going through the summer and the Psalms and uh, the Psalm that we're going to go through together. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Psalm 42, Psalm 42. I don't know about you, but in a society where it seems awkward to be desperate we find solutions in Google, we find solutions by going to the mall, um, you know, just having different things patch up the deepest desires of our heart because in our society, it just says, just don't be desperate, just go for whatever you want to go for. You don't have to be desperate. I mean, desperation is, is different for different people, right? Right? When someone is uh, on, in the hospital, in the ICU, family members are desperate, calling out to the doctors to say, hey, what is the answer? What's the prognosis? How can we make the situation better? There's desperation in a uh, college student or one who's going to college, university, desperate to get into a certain college so that they can have a certain career. There's desperation in the uh, young teen or the one in their 20s, and particularly the guys I'm speaking to who uh, in a room uh, filled with people and they, they, uh, that person particularly sees a girl that he likes, and so there's desperation in a moment like that to say, at the end of this meeting, I have to get her number. Desperation is different for different people, right? But Scripture tells us that desperation is good in the eyes of God. And when we are desperate for the right things, the right outcomes will pursue. It will happen. And today's message the, the title is When Desperation Meets Delight. And my prayer for you this morning is that when you understand that this psalmist is desperate and it's okay to be desperate and it is good in the eyes of God to be desperate for him, then you will experience, and this is truth from his word, delight for your soul and delight in praise in experiencing peace and joy in his presence. The big idea for this message is this. Desperation for God will lead us to delight in God. Desperation for God will lead us to delight in God. We don't wake up in the morning and just say, I delight in the Lord. Well, sometimes we do so because based on our circumstances, sometimes when it goes well and you're like, oh, wow, I just praise the Lord. It's more natural to just be thankful. But in moments when you feel like you're just not wanting to praise God, you have so many things to complain about, so many things to worry about. The first thing in your mind is not, I need the Lord. It's, I need to figure this out. I need to deal with the situation. I need to worry more because somehow if I worry more, it'll give me a little bit of comfort so that I know somehow it might turn out the way that I want it to turn out. We don't often just say, God, the first thing I want to do is to be desperate for you. The Christian life, brothers and sisters, is not an easy life. It's not an easy life. It's a life of desperation for God. It's a life of using your energy to seek after God with all your heart. And to love God. And to know him. There are five points in this message, and I'm going to go verse, from, verse to verse. The first is this, longing for God's presence. Have you ever longed for God's presence? In Psalm 42, as, as we go into the psalm, it's, it's a it's a, salt, it's a psalm that is um, part of 11 psalms written by uh, possibly David, possibly the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah. Korah was a, uh, a Levite who wanted to... Um, who went against Aaron and Moses, and later uh, then died, and his sons uh, survived, and they became the Levitical uh, part of the Levitical procession, which were musicians who 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 went to the temple to praise God, and so this psalm was written possibly by David, and sung by the sons of Korah. So it was written, and a masculine. A if you look down in your Bible, it, it's, it really means, it's just part of the title, it really means contemplation. It's not an easy word to translate, but it's kind of like contemplation, thinking, pondering. So as you listen to the psalm, and as we hear God through the psalm, may you contemplate what he is trying to tell you. The verse point is... is, is is that um, longing for God's presence is important. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you. So pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? The first thing in this psalm, you have to understand, uh, a masculine, sons of Korah, usually this is what you call lament psalm. Lament psalms usually start off with, oh Lord, my God. Oh Lord, hear my prayer. It's immediately personal. But with this psalm, it's interesting. He begins with an illustration. And the illustration is, is one that many of you probably may have witnessed The other day when I was uh, going on vacation with my wife, I think it was last week, we we went to uh, the Finger Lakes in in, uh, New York, beautiful place if you ever get a chance to go there. It's wonderful. There's over about 30 or 40 waterfalls, Uh, beautiful place. We saw um, that there were deer and just running along the road or running across the road and there was a deer who was just close by the stream, just munching away at the leaves, but, but they're close enough to the stream that they can, they can just lap some water. You see, the difference between us and deer is that deer, actually, they need to be within a quarter mile of a permanent, sustainable water source. And the reason for this is that um, deer are usually prey, uh, lots of predators out there. And so they're, when, they're, when they're running away from the prey, they're actually expending a lot of energy. When they're running away from the enemy, they're expending so much energy. And the only way for them to rejuvenate and to restore their energy is to go to a water source. And I was looking this up on, uh, on the internet, and it said that like those deer who do not find a source of water they actually die because, because of the energy that it's expan- expending and the panting. The panting is not necessarily for water. The panting is, to, is, is because of all the energy that's being expended and the water that's being expended as well through the sweating of the mouth. And so they need to replenish their water. They need to replenish that in their system. As the deer pants for streams of water, for flowing streams. This is an illustration that that, that the psalmist is bringing to us. As that deer pants for streams, so my soul pants for God. Do 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 you ever feel that way? Do you know that your heart needs God? Just like Jameson said this morning, we need the Lord more than anything, more than oxygen, more than our wife and children, more than anything, more than stability, more than money. We need God. We need God here and now. We need God everywhere, wherever we go. We need God in situations when we are afraid. We need God when we do not know the future. We need God in the situations that bring us downcast. We need God. So my question for you this morning is, do you know that your heart needs God? That just as as water is a source of life to the deer, so God is a source of life and is our life. That when we say we trust in Jesus, and we're not just saying it intellectually, but we're believing it in our heart every day, that we're learning to seek Him. It says there, My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Notice what it says there, the living God. We serve a living God, and just like we sang this morning, the living hope, right? The grave has not overcome. We now have a living hope through Jesus Christ who died and who rose again so that one day we can be reconciled to God, forgiven and free. And in this world, we may have trouble, but we can always, always go to the living God. The living God. When shall I come and appear before God? David was probably writing this because he was far away from Jerusalem, from Mount Zion. From a place where there's worship, the temple. And he, he senses this too. He wants to appear before God. And now he's saying this in the context of back in the Old Testament, their place of worship was the temple or the tabernacle before the temple. That was where God resided. But in the New Testament, we know that Jesus Christ, who rose again, has given us the confidence that we can appear before God, not with a guilty conscience, but appear before God bold because of what he has done for us and how he has forgiven our sins. So we don't come as guilty individuals. We come as forgiven individuals under the name of Jesus. And so we have hope. We have hope. And the second point is this. Actually, um, Charles Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon says this. The best thing to living in the light of the Lord's love is to be unhappy until we have it. And to pant hourly after it. I believe it was Spurgeon or maybe it was Martin Luther who said that, um, I have so much to do throughout this day. How do I start it? Oh, I must pray. I must spend hours in prayer. And some of us might think, well, that's too much time. Don't you think? No, it's not. Since we need to be unhappy until we know that God is with us. You see, we can be unhappy about many things but I think we need to have something called holy discontent. Have you ever been holy discontent? Meaning, I, I, I yearn for God. He's, he seems far, but yet I want to yearn. I want to wait for him and know him. I don't want to just rush out after reading the Bible and rush out into the car and just do things throughout the day. I want to know that God is with me. I want to know the love of God. I want to know and believe in my heart that he is sovereign and in control of all things. There's a book called Restless and it's written by Uh, Jenny Allen, and many, some of you who know her, she's a a prolific author, a really great author. And she writes in this book, I haven't personally read it, but I'll probably get a copy. It says, Restless because you were made for more. And so often we, we get restless about so many things. And maybe that's an indication. Maybe you're bored and restless because God wants you to go to him. Maybe you're just on the video games and you're just like, oh, I played the game over and over and you still feel empty. Maybe you're restless because God wants you to seek after him. God wants to give you his peace. God wants to give you his strength. God wants to be in your life so that he is your Lord every day. And that's what this book is about. Restless because you were made for more. God allows for restlessness and boredom. Not just as kind of like an annoyance to us and say, yeah, you know. just It's to warn us that this life that we live is, is not our own. And this world that we live in, we are just passing by. And the things of this world are just temporary. And we need to live for the things that are eternal. So let your restlessness bring you to thirsting after God. Thirsting after him. Brothers and sisters, we I, I gotta say this again, and I think possibly we, we say this often, is that social media and the different platforms and, and, and the different things that we're involved in and, and the and the and the different commodities and things that m- money related things and and things that we, we just get caught up with. It really makes us restless in this life because we were made for more. We were made to worship and adore and put him first. That's what your life was made for. To love God with all your heart, not just in heaven, but right now. Right now, to love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. It ain't a suggestion. And that's why this psalm is so powerful, because it draws us to an understanding that we must long for God's presence. The second is this, um, the pain of our soul. The pain of our soul. We need to understand the pain of our soul. Verse 3 says this, my tears have been food my food day and night while they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. My tears have made my food. There's two interpretations for this. The first is that he longs for God in such a way that he doesn't want to eat anymore. The only thing he wants to do is surrender his heart to God. His tears are his food day and night. It does not mean that he's, he, he wants to do this in such a way that uh, to, um, to torture himself. But he does this because out of desperation for God, it becomes his food. Have you ever been desperate for God that you don't need to eat? You can fast and you don't need to be hungry. Why? Because the very food that you have is the very presence of God in the tears. And the Bible tells us that God keeps our tears in a bottle. He understands what we're going through. And it's, uh, it's not just day, but day and night. Day and night. And here's the second part. The second part is a little bit of a challenge. Sorry, let me tell you the second interpretation. The second interpretation of, the, of the, uh, the tears have been my food day and night, is really in essence being in such a sorrowful state that you do not want to eat. And it's been your food. Your tears have been your food. So one interpretation can mean that he's longing for God. Another interpretation can be also that day and night, he's so sorrowful, it's been his food. But there's a problem here also that during that time, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? And, and, and he repeats this twice. And The reason why he repeats this twice is because there was probably a situation whereby David or the author felt attacked by other people. And it wasn't uh, until the Greco-Roman period uh, later on In uh, first century Judaism, uh, that where there was atheism, there was a secular kind of morphed into a secular atheism. But this is not that time. This is prior to that time. So there was no real true atheist back in the time when this psalm was written. The reason why this psalm was written in this way was that the person saying, where is your God, was basically saying, your God doesn't listen to you. Your God is not real. Your God is not living. Your God absolutely has no say in your life. Look at your suffering. Look how sad and pitiful you are. Look at your situation. Where is your God? I don't know if you've ever experienced that in your life where it seems, and it could be physically people coming and telling you, you go to church. Your wife's still in the hospital. You pray for all these things. Your, your kids are still rebelling against you. Tell me that there's a God. You know, like th- there could also be internal struggles whereby Satan puts it into your head to think that there's no possible way that God can answer your prayer. He's not listening. He doesn't understand. Because no one else does. Where is your God? And that is, the, that is the, what we fight against, right? That's what we not, not physically fight against that, but spiritually fight against that. Because the truth is that God is here. God is near. When we think that God is far, he is where you are. When you need him most, he is there. That's the truth. There's no end, if, if, ends, or buts. He is there. Notice what it says there in verse 4 these things I remember as I pour out my soul. Okay, he pours out his soul, and then he goes on and he says, I used to do all these things. I used to do all these things and it's very powerful because as Jameson was leading, it's as if this passage here is talking about gathering and how important it is to gather to worship God. And that is awesome. And that's what God desires. But notice what it says there. I remember. I remember, meaning it's not present. Meaning there's been a situation where he... Used to be in a in, in a good place in a place where he was worshiping God in a place where he was in leadership in a place where he was serving in a place where it was a good place before God, but now he isn 't, so he pours out his soul. I used to be in this, I used to i don 't know about you, but maybe sometimes when you when you sense in your life that there can be times when you are bringing up the past. When I was first a Christian, I used to read the Bible every day. When I first was a believer, I used to pray every day. When I first was a believer, I used to share the gospel all the time. But deep in our hearts, as you get older and you begin to see the world as it is, your heart for God, sometimes it becomes calloused. And you begin to just complain more than worship. You begin to see things that are just um, you know, peripheral, but not the core. And you begin to lament, and you begin to pour out your soul, and you think, I used to be like that, but I'm not that now. And that's why, in this text, we have to go to the next point, and this is why we have to ask the hard questions. In verse 5, it says this. Right after he talks about, I used to do these, I used to lead, I used to. He goes and he says in verse five, Why are you cast down, O oh my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Brothers and sisters, we need to ask the hard questions. You see, it's, hard, it's easy to kind of just say, I'm going through a difficult time. I'm going through depression. Or I'm going through, maybe it's not easy, sorry, I apologize. It's not easy to say those things. But sometimes you just admit them, and then you just go about your life, hoping that something's going to change. What is hard to do is to ask yourself, yourself the question, why are you so downcast, O oh my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? The Bible doesn't teach us to listen to ourselves. The Bible tells us to preach to ourselves. The Bible doesn't tell us to say, listen to your thoughts, listen to how you feel, feel what you feel, make sure other people know how you feel. The Bible doesn't tell us those things in particular. The Bible tells us to hope in God and to preach to ourselves the very truth that we believe because our faith is not primarily based on feeling it is based on truth it is based on who god is and what his promises will do for you and how that will prevail that is what it means to ask the question why are you downcast o oh my soul the word downcast here really means putting the ha- falling prostrate on the ground, downcast, depressed, depressed. And the word turmoil here means troubled. It means literally shouting out in anguish. So you're downcast and you're shouting out in anguish, whether physically or internally in your heart and and. and, and you're asking the question, the psalmist says this, why are you so depressed? And why are you so troubled? And part of the reason why we feel troubled is because we're, we're troubled about our depression. We're depressed about our depression. We feel depressed. When I was uh, 2004, I came back from Moody Bible Institute, graduated, ready to be a pastor at 22. And I said, I'm ready to go I fell into a deep depression for six months, didn't read the Bible for six months, didn't talk to anybody. I walked the streets of downtown on, uh, on Church Street, so you don't want to don't go down there at, at night ever. Um, but that was my life because I wanted to escape. I wanted to escape. And it was, I was trying to numb myself. I was trying to, you know, say, okay, no one knows what I'm going through. God doesn't know what I'm going through. I just graduated from one of the best Bible colleges in the world and yet I don't even have a desire to be a pastor. I'm just a failure. I'm just a failure. And I would sleep during the day because I was afraid of the dark because I would hear things. And sometimes I would see things. Satan loves to tell you that depression is a sin. And I'm here to tell you, according to scripture, depression is not a sin. It is not, because you feel depressed, does not mean that you are sinning against God. You see, fear and depression are very similar because fear and depression always usually leads us to a point where we feel that God does not accept us. But fear and depression are not sin. It's what we do with that. It's, 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 it's the question that God wants to ask you when you are depressed, when you are fearful, when you are so down you can't even get out of bed. The question that God wants to ask you at that moment is, will you hope in me? Even amidst the, the things that you feel. Will you hope in me? And that's why in the end of this passage, it says this, hope in God, for I shall again praise him. The result of a question, by the way, this question is not like, why are you so downcast, my soul? You should be better than this. You're a Christian. You should be better than this. It's not saying that. The question leads us to the answer. So when you ask that question, the question is not meant to be rhetorical. The question is meant to give us hope. The question is meant to bring us back to God. When we're preaching the gospel to ourselves, we are literally saying, why is this the condition of my heart? I know God. I believe in him. I trust in him. He is my hope. And so it says there, hope in God, for I shall again praise him. Hope in God. My salvation and my God. He repeats this twice. This section twice in verse 4 here and then verse 11 later on. My soul is downcast within me the truth of the matter is that we must ask the hard questions. We must really ask these questions and it is good to ask these questions. And brothers and sisters, I also want to say, don't ask these questions. Um, Don't ask these questions After you've tried to go through everything else. Ask these questions as soon as possible. This is God's will. Because if you're desperate this morning. The reason why you're desperate for God. And we all are. But we're all in different circumstances and situations. It's because God wants to draw us to himself. He wants us to know that in the desperation for him. There is delight. He wants us to know that there is hope in the midst of a very difficult circumstance that could be happening in your life right now. And desperation is the key. When you are desperate for God, he hears you. Turn with me, it's not on the screen, but turn with me to Psalm 40, just really quickly. We'll stay on this screen, uh, please, Psalm 40. It's just a couple of pages down. And the word hope in the Hebrew really means wait. 40 verse 1 says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in The Lord. You see the progression? The one who hopes in the Lord is the one who patiently waits for the Lord. And the one who patiently waits for the Lord, God inclines his ear to them. And the one who God inclines his ear towards, he will bring them out of the miry pit. Out of the pit of destruction. And God brought me out of depression after six months because I was reading the book of Ezekiel. And as you know, Ezekiel is not an easy book to read. And chapter 1 to chapter 6 speaks of the judgment of God against Israel over and over and over again. And I just closed the Bible. Six months of not reading the Bible and then God brings me to this passage. And I'm like, oh boy, I don't feel that good right now. My depression really is to be pitied. I feel like I've gone against God and gone against him in every way. But then as I closed my Bible, guess what happened? About an hour later, I didn't open it up again. But it was as if the Holy Spirit was reminding me, that is not the end of the Bible. The scriptures tell us of the love of God. The hope of God. So when I'm downcast and my soul is in turmoil, that I can have hope in God. And throughout those six months, I, can, I wrote in my journal that I praise God because it was in those times, even though I did not know he was near, he still carried me and he still loves me. Amen. That is the truth. And I, I, can't, I can say this personally because I've gone through it. But maybe you have gone through something similar. And I just want to tell you, the Lord will show you, he will show you how much he loves you. Just turn to him. Just turn to him. With everything. And the fourth point is this. Honesty and discouragement. We must be honest. In the midst of our discouragement. In verse. uh, We'll go on to the next slide. Verse five. Why are you cast down O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me; therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon to Mount uh, from Mount Mizar, places of great uh, fruitfulness. Jordan and Hermon and Mount Mizar, and it says here, deep calls to deep. At the roar of your waterfalls, at your, all your breakers and waves have gone over me. He is drowning. It's the opposite of what's happening in verse one, because one, uh, in verse one, he's thirsty. He wants the Lord, but he also realized that the waves and the billows of those waves have come over him. Sorrow upon sorrow, just like the, the book of Job. Sorrow upon sorrow, and these waves are crashing over. Similar to that of, of Jonah when he had prayed in the belly of the fish that these waves, he went, fell down into the depths of Sheol and yet God saved him. These waves were over him and the water was overwhelming him. Yet God saved him because he was overwhelmed physically. But let me tell you, just as it is physically for uh, Jonah, it is spiritually for us. So often we feel so overwhelmed by our own sorrow. Sorrow over different things we would have, should have, could have done. Things that we we feel like we're inadequate. and, And sorrow over circumstances that we feel like we've missed the opportunity. Sorrow over our own sin. But the Bible here tells us, Deep calls to deep, meaning this is a very big picture of God's uh, um, understanding of our sorrow, of how it overcomes us like waterfowls and breakers and waves. Verse 8 says this, By day the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night his song is with me a prayer to the God of my life. So immediately, you see the psalm is not trying to bring us all the bad news. He's, he's trying to stop in the middle to say, by day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. He's saying that God's steadfast love is not circumstantial. It is commanded. It is decreed. The love of God is not based on your performance or even your love for him. The love of God is commanded by him to be in your life forever. That is the good news of the gospel, that those who believe in Christ will always have the love of God, whether we feel it or not. We have the forgiveness and the love of God, the steadfast, Hesed love of God, the agape love of God, the unconditional love of God. God loves us. The Lord commands his steadfast love. Oh, isn't that so good? He is the one who decrees it. And it's in your life. So the psalmist says, and at night his song is with me. A prayer to God, the God of my life, of my life. And I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Now he goes back into lamenting. God, God, you are my rock, but why have you forgotten me? I think it's important for us to know this. That when, when the psalmist is saying that God is his rock, he's trying to say this is the truth of who God is, but this is how I feel. And that's why we have to be honest about our discouragement. Let's not play games at church. Let's not play games and just start to say, oh, yeah, I'm doing good. And and, and maybe you are doing well, but we need to understand that this is an opportunity for us to be honest with ourselves and with other people around us. And to say, God, I need your help. And brother and sister, I need encouragement. I need encouragement. And that's why it says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? And at times, at times, I don't know if you felt this, and I felt this many times in my life. God, have you forgotten me? I've prayed this hundreds of times, oh Lord. I've prayed for things to happen to my family. I've prayed for this relationship to be restored. I've prayed for my husband and my wife. I pray. I prayed for my wife. I prayed for those people around me. I prayed for salvation. I pray that you take me out of this situation. I pray that you take this physical suffering away from me. Why have you forgotten me? And it's okay. It's okay. And it's good. Because we need to be honest about our discouragement before God. And then finally, as we see in verse 11, um, returning to delight in God. Returning to delight in God. That's the last point. Returning to delight in God. And that's verse 11. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him. Do you anticipate? Is your understanding of scripture and of who God is an anticipation of future grace? An anticipation that God is going to work in your life in such a way that will bless you. Because when we're singing that song, God is so good. I can sense also sometimes in my life when I sing that song, I just have a doubt. When things are going well, it's like I can sing that well. When things are not going well, I can still try to sing that well, but when things are really bad, I can tell you, it's hard to sing that. God, you're so good. What I'm suffering. And this is the point of this passage, is that when we return to God in our desperation for him, when we return to God because we know that he matters so much to us that we need him only, he will give us delight. He will make us praise him again. He will put a new song on our lips, a song of praise to the Lord. And as Psalm 40 says, so that others, many others will see and fear him. Because they know of your testimony, your testimony of God's love and of his grace and of his hope in your life. Brothers and sisters, why are you downcast? Oh, my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. Preach to yourself. For I shall again praise him. Preach that truth. Future grace. The God who is going to bring you through the valleys. Will bring you back out. It might be a period of time. But it's always in his good timing. My salvation. And my God. Let's pray together. Let's be cool. Heavenly Father. I just pray, Lord, that as as we have read this passage and gone through this passage, that, Lord, it it has impacted our hearts. I pray, God, that for anyone here who is just struggling with depression, struggling to just, you know, just, just go on with another day, and others here who who may not be struggling with depression, but they long. They want to long for you. They they want to desire you as the deer pants for water. They they want to know you more. So Lord, whether we are in that situation or the other situation, Lord God, may we uh, have desperation for you. May we be desperate for you so that our delight in you can be returned and that we can truly know that, God, you are the one who has restored our salvation. You have given us new hope. I pray, O oh Lord, for, the, for those who may not know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, That the heart of this message is the hoping in God. That there is no other hope in this world. That can truly satisfy their soul. But to know and believe and trust that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that he has saved us and forgiven us of all of our trespasses and sins forevermore. So Lord God. Teach us to be desperate for you. Thank you, Lord God. We praise you in Jesus' name.